And if you're uh, with a Bible today, way to go. (laughs) But go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 21. At this point, something rather remarkable has just happened. Abraham has actually given Sarah over one more time to a foreign despot ruler in Abimelech to be part of his harem. Now, understand that this is in the context of God has now confirmed to him this time next year, Sarah will be with child. This is not an Ishmael thing. This is an Isaac thing. And this will happen through Sarah, through Isaac. And this will be the fulfillment of all that God has always been promising to you. With that in mind, Abraham then encounters Abimelech and hands, yep, and hands, uh, thanks guys, and hands Sarah over to him again. But what does God do? He comes in over the top and he brings, rains terror down upon Abimelech uh, and his like and delivers Sarah yet again. And so we pick it up at this point. Uh, I'll start in verse 17, uh, where Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech because God had, uh, in a sense, thwarted them with, with disease that kept them from touching Sarah. His wife is female slave, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now we're in 21. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. You know, what's interesting is that at this point, you think it would be saying this about Abraham. Because the promise has been made to Abraham. Abraham is the vessel, is the father of many nations. But at this point, it seems as though God is focusing the fulfillment on the greatness of being a blessing to all nations now on Sarah. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised. And you can see now the title of the sermon today is The Birth of... Wait for it. Wait for it. Isaac. Because the tension that has built through the book of Genesis is rather remarkable. It's classic narrative. And Moses does it wonderfully to be able to keep us on the edge of our seat to see, will Israel indeed be established through the line of Abraham, through Sarah, through Isaac or not? Because there are a lot of reasons, including what we just discovered in chapter 20 with with Sarah becoming part of the Abimelech harem, that is this thing really going to happen? And if you're Israel reading this many years later, these are your scriptures. These are your holy words. This is your Genesis, not just the Genesis of the world. This is the Genesis of you as a people as you read this and you realize, wow. If not for God, where we would be. Abraham gave the name Isaac, verse 3, to the son Sarah bore him. Because that's what God had commanded. And of course, I think we know at this point from our earlier lessons, but even from maybe your footnotes in your Bible, Isaac means he laughs. 
We'll talk about that in a minute. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Boy. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Just to catch, because this is something that we miss all the time because we don't know Hebrew, but if we just hear it a little bit as though they would have heard it, her gushing magnificat of praise to God that Sarah says here is basically her saying, God has brought me Isaac. And everyone who hears about it will Isaac with me. For us, we, we, we don't really connect it as deeply as they would connect it. As a matter of fact, even when she says they will Isaac with me, it is, it is literally Iktak. It, it, it is the, the word for his name. If you were to you know, kind of say that in, in casual conversation and Isaac was sitting there with you, he would say, what? Because it would, it would be his name that, that is being said there. God has brought me laughter, Isaac, and everyone who hears about it will, Isaac will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know who would have said it? Nobody would have said it because it's that fantastic. How many of you would say it about your 90 year old grandmother? Yeah, you know what? I have faith in you, Grandma. We had an awesome sermon today, and I came home with renewed vigor. I want a new uncle. You can do it, Grandma. Right? It's a, it's a good question she asks, because it's a ridiculous question. Nobody would say it. Uh, I got a couple points today. The first is... As he had said, as he had promised. In the ESV and many of the translations, this passage opens up with the resolution, the denouement of the tension that has been increasing ever since chapter 11. When we, we learned in the introduction of Sarah and of Abraham, Sarah was barren. That's how they're introduced to us. And Isaac is very old. And Sarah is very old. That's how they're introduced. And then from that point on in chapter 11, all the way through now till chapter 21, there have been ups and downs and crazy detours and tangents all along the way, as all those reading would wonder, is God going to be good to his word? Or is this the type of a God that we're learning about in these opening pages of his word? That is the kind of God who talks big, just to maybe encourage you and give you a little bit of encouragement in your soul. But at the end of the day, he's not really going to come through. But hey, at least you had a moment of feeling good about yourself because he said some really big and happy things at the moment. No, this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible promises and fulfills. And he is good to his word. And when this is resolved, the tension of the narrative is resolved. It is resolved in verse 1. As he had said. 
God visited Sarah, visited upon her, came to her as he had said. A year from now, you're going to have a baby. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. We can take God at his word. This is a very important point for us to have really imprinted upon our hearts and our minds as he had said, as he had promised. That's why this book is so intensely dear to every single person who picks it up. And for every person who ought to pick it up as well. Because these are not vain words. These are not bloated ideas. These are not good intentions. These are the rock-solid, iron-clad, airtight declarations of God. And He will do as He had said, as He had promised. Twice He promises, very clearly, about the birth of Isaac. And I'll read them to you back in chapter 17. He says to Abraham... I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. You know, and of course, at that time, the the name Isaac is coming into the view because Abraham responds to this beautiful promise with Abraham fell down and laughed. A little bit later on. He says it again. God does say it again. And he says, I will surely in chapter 18, I will surely return to you about this time next year. We, we have a gap of uh, about, I don't know, 10, 13 years at this point between the two promises. I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. 99 and 89 and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. It's a penetrating look into the obvious. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And, and so she will. Uh, the, the, the emphasis in this writing of this, as he had said, as he had promised, The repetition should make all the readers of these precious Holy Spirit inspired words pause and consider how great the miracle is. This is an off the charts miracle. This is this is beyond National Enquirer. Uh, This is mainstream press. Everything stopped the presses. This has really happened. This is not just uh, a rumor. This is not European studies tell us. Uh, this is not somewhere in the wilds of the cone of South America. That something like this occurred. No, no, no. This is verified as he had said, as he had promised for us to really be able to hold into our hands with the, 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 the real tangible nature of it and the emphasis on the fulfillment of God. And it's given in such a way, made as such a statement, that it's, it's as though it could have been no other way. Right. Written as like just a matter of fact. Oh, and, and by the way, what we've been waiting for? Yeah, God did it. He did it. Of course he did it. Just as he said, just as he promised along the way. This is a big one for us because we are in a covenant of promise. A remarkable covenant of promise. And there is a promise that Jesus himself 
who has delivered us into this covenant with all that he has done. No waiting promise there. He has done it. He has taken our sins. He has died with them. And he has risen to new life to be able to give us the chance for great new life. But he also promises that that you ain't seen nothing yet. That's just my first coming. You know why you're doing this? You're doing this for the second coming. If you have hope only in what I have done, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, then we're to be pitied more than all people. If we just say, well, isn't it good that Jesus did this? And now, well, of course, now that I'm more righteous, my life goes better. Now that I'm not a drunken liar, I I tend to do better in the workplace. Uh, Now that I'm not a philanderer and a a seducer, serial seducer, my, my family life seems to hold together a bit better. Hey, good thing Jesus came into my life. I've got kind of a better hope for my for this age as we have it right here. Paul says, no, even though that's pretty good, and, and I'm glad that's happening to you, you ain't seen nothing yet. We are in a promise of what will come our way is going to be of unspeakable greatness. I, I love in the song, scenes of bliss forever new rise in succession to their view. That will be our new life of fulfillment. Our new bodies, our new earth, God coming down to be with us. We will see the face of God. There'll be no need for sun or moon because Jesus himself will be the illumination for all that we need. We will know what it is to live in great harmony. We will know what it is to create and not be frustrated. To love and not be broken up with. To to, to be able to work and see the fruition Many times over of any of our efforts, we will know fulfillment many fold and in a way that we can't even begin to imagine now. We are people of promise and and we wait in this promise for all that God has. It is so critical that we can orient our lives according to what it is that God has coming our way uh, or else we don't understand the covenant in which we are placed. So if, if we can really hold tight to as he had said, as he had promised, then the gospel really does give us the power of real perspective. Yes, there's greatness that has happened. Yes, there's greatness that is already going on in our lives. But oh my goodness, if we can bank on what he has said and what he has promised, oh my goodness, the joy and the anticipation, like like thoroughbreds with, with the starting gate delayed, you know, so are we, just can't wait To just get out and live out for the sake of God and to help others to be able to know all that it is that he has in store for us. And he has done it. My second point is, why is this man laughing? This is a very famous photo. It's used for the last 54 years, 55 years now, by uh, Esquire magazine in their Dubious Achievement Awards issue in January of each year. And it's, a, it's actually a picture when Richard Nixon won the 1960 Republican nomination. And it is uh, him, well, actually quite enjoying the moment, it seems as though. Uh, but but it's a very famous picture that's always associated with the caption, why is this man laughing? I'm not trying to make a political statement, uh, but nonetheless, it is, it is a uh, very apt phrase, why is this man laughing? And that's the question I want to answer when we look at Abraham, and even why is this woman laughing when we look at Sarah? Why is this man woman, why is this woman, why is this man laughing? You know, twice here, Sarah uses the root laugh, 
found in Isaac's name. Everyone who hears it will Isaac for me, as, as I mentioned. The, the name has been associated with the laughter of disbelief throughout the, the earlier passages that I just read. When we read in chapter 17 and 18, we see Abraham falling on his face right after the promise is given to him in direct response. If this, then that. If a great promise from God, then Abraham falls on his face and laughs before the Lord. Afterward, Sarah, being a bit more demure, being uh, using decorum of the time, kind of lets the men have their talking space and hides behind the flap of the tent. But she overhears the promise one more time. This time, not in a general sense. Yes, one day, Sarah will give birth to a son and you will name him Isaac and he will be a great nation. No, now it's gotten more specific. About this time next year, that 90-year-old Sarah over there, out of your 100-year-old body, you're going to put it together and you're going to have a son one year from now. And what does Sarah do? In, even in light of the specificity of the promise, she likewise laughs out loud. So much so that not only does Abraham hear it, but everybody else hears it. And she's embarrassed and Abraham says, why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did laugh. It's a tent. We live in a tent. But why the laughter? Why is this man, why is this woman laughing? And the reason is the same reason why we laugh when confronted with the greatness of the gospel promises. Abraham and Sarah didn't laugh because God was promising them too little. If, if he had just said to them many decades earlier, you know what? Sarah's in her 40s now, but you know what? Even though she's barren, even though you've given up hope, I'm going to go ahead and be gracious to her and to you, and we're going to give you a son. If that had happened 50 years earlier, you know, nice, not thrilling, but nice, and nobody would have laughed at that. Sarah wouldn't have laughed. Abraham wouldn't have laughed. Why? Because they were only required to put their faith in the natural, not the supernatural. But when you are maneuvered, as God maneuvered Abraham and Sarah, to a place where you have no choice. And this is so difficult for us, because we live our lives in, in natural existence. To, to be maneuvered into a place where our only hope, our only rescue, is the supernatural that's where the temptation to laugh comes in. And it's because the gospel is so big that many seekers laugh even at the gospel message. People don't laugh at the gospel message because it promises too little. People laugh at the gospel of Jesus because it promises too much. And the reason for the laughter is to protect yourself from the vulnerability of having to trust in something that is so far beyond you. There's a, uh, a, a fellow, Frank Schwartz, who is a psychologist at 
uh, Swarthmore College. He's a popular TED, uh, TED Talk speaker. And he has a famous quote. His famous quote is, the key to happiness is low expectations. That may be the key to natural happiness. But if you want to have a transcendent, frighteningly amazing life here and eternal life, well, then it's not to lower your expectations, but to actually really place your trust in the expectations of God himself. And that is a scary thing to do. It's very easy to trust in a gospel if the gospel just said, Jesus is a good guy, he loved a lot, incredibly insightful. Look at the way he does that verbal jujitsu with the Jewish leaders. Wow, I like it. Isn't that amazing? Let's quote him a lot more. How about if we crochet uh, things that he says on things all over the house and we think about them more? Won't we, in a sense, attract more wisdom? Won't we attract more love if we focus on things that are more wise and more? If that was the gospel, nobody would laugh at it. Nobody would reject it. But that's not the gospel. The gospel makes a fantastically greater demand upon your faith. And faith is no small thing. It's no, I'm a fan of Jesus. I kind of like the way that he, no. If you are to put your trust in Jesus, it's no wonder that, that you end up with laughter of disbelief. Because of that very thing. It's a very difficult, you know. But nonetheless, I love what Psalm 126 says. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. That's the laughter that comes on the other side of this. That's the laughter when you realize, oh my goodness, I thought this could have never been the case. But yet here is God doing it before our very eyes. You know, it's one thing to have an Isaac born of an older woman and an older man. And I think last year we had a, what, a 62-year-old woman uh, have, a, have a natural birth, right? So the, the ages keep kind of ratcheting up little by little uh, over the years as, as different things advance. And who knows, maybe, you know, in, in some of our teens' lifetimes, it, it, it'll even get way beyond that. Uh, but while that could somehow over time be something that you wouldn't laugh at, the, the birth of someone, even though the parents were of great age, there is no way you would ever just think, oh, isn't that an interesting natural phenomenon? The fact that not in the birth of Isaac, but how about in the birth of Jesus? And the demands placed upon your belief for that. That a unmarried teenage girl, teen mom, declares to all, God impregnated me. Sure he did. <laughs> that wasn't just laughter. That was scorn that she would have had to have embraced. But yet she did. Because she never laughed. Mary only laughed the laugh of astonishment and of wonder. Who am I 
that the Lord would use me. And she, just like Sarah, had a great, what's called the Magnificat. In Latin, the first word of this great song that Mary sings is Magnificat. My, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his hand. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away. Helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary understood that through the line of Isaac, this same exact approach to promising things that maneuver you to a place where you can no longer just rest on your experience, rest on your abilities, but now you have no choice but in vulnerability to rest only on God. This is where God wants every one of us. And it's a deeply uncomfortable place until we come to the place of full surrender over to God. And then when we get there, it's the most exhilarating place where you can ever live your everyday life. Mary got there and it was beautiful for her. And praise God, she got there even before the birth. Sarah got there, of course, after the birth. It's pretty obvious at that point, to to be able to magnify the Lord. But for all of us, let it be that that the wonders of God, you know, as as God said to Sarah, is anything, well, some Bibles say in in chapter 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? But the word really is, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Even in your own life, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And that's my final point. Is anything too wonderful for God? For Sarah to conceive was a big deal in that culture. A woman's ability to bear children was her worth, was her honor. And to be barren was a dishonor, a disgrace, or at best, a tragedy. Afraid to really have the vulnerability of trust God needed to remind her, remind Abraham as well, there is nothing too wonderful for God. We were, uh, some of the brothers were studying the Bible yesterday morning. And while we were studying, I was reminded of my Bible studies. And I was reminded of my laughter as I began to seek God. And we were studying the Bible and we began to study out the wonderful idea of grace that was going to be applied to me. But in order for me to understand it, the brothers who were helping me along suggested that I also understand the sin that was going to require that grace. And so as we studied some of those sins out, we you know would read about them and then we would all share, there maybe three, four of us in the room, and, and everybody would share a little bit. And I remember one of the things that came up was this idea of Sexual impurity, or as the Bible calls it, lewdness or lasciviousness. It's the idea of just being 
fleshly indulgent. And it kind of encompasses this, this kind of whole realm of, of like pornography and masturbation and just self-indulgence of the flesh. A perversion of, of the drives that God really created for a greater good. And, and so as, as we we're considering this and the, the, the different guys there were kind of sharing their story with me. And, and one of them happened to say, and, and by the way, you know, I, I had thought that maybe I would never be able to be set free from this sexual impurity and all that goes with it, whether it's pornography or you know, indulging the flesh. I thought I'd never be set free. But you know what? I've now been a Christian for the last 12 years, he said, and I've, I've not looked at pornography in that amount of time. And as he said it, involuntarily, no, no preconceived idea here, I just spontaneously laughed out loud right in his face. And it wasn't the laughter of, oh, I'm so happy for you. It was the laughter of, you don't know who I am. Yeah, maybe you could be set free, but I'm in deep. You don't know how deep this is. I've, and, you know, this is the 80s and, and 90s then. Uh, you know, there, there was no internet, but whatever else you could get without the internet, I had. Never missed a thing. Never missed a release. Never once. And, and, and was really quite diligent about it. Probably disciplined about it, if, if you could use such a word, against such an awful endeavor. And I remember just laughing, the laughter of disbelief. Laughing, thinking, could, could I really? I mean, it's been 15 years of a daily depth of indulgence here. There is no way that this could be the case. And, and I remember us studying the Bible a bit more and then coming to see the full gospel. And, and then almost even though it was only about a week or so later, almost forgetting how intensely I laughed, a laugh of disbelief. But then the Holy Spirit really did, through the word of God, through those helpful brothers, bring me to a place of real repentance. I'm not talking jive repentance, where you just pray at the side of your bed, oh God, I'm so sorry, uh, don't let me be inconvenienced by all the mess of my life. Not that, I mean like, what's going on? I look through different eyes, I, I have different allegiances and affections. I have a different agenda. I have different ambitions. This is amazing. What in the world is as those scales have come from my eyes? All of my, my um, appetites are, are different as well. Like, this is incredible. And before I knew it, all of that I had actually really been set free from. As I understood Jesus' love for me. God's view of me. As his son whom he loved. Jesus' sacrifice because of the filthy ball of mess that, that I had created with the work of my sinful life. That he bore all of that. He became defiled with, with all, so that I could be pure, that I could be a man of honor. And, and now, now I can laugh with you, not the laughter of disbelief, but the laughter of joy. The laughter of fulfillment. That since 1993, March 17th of 1993, probably a week earlier when we were actually studying the Bible and the Holy Spirit had really brought about repentance in my life. And, and again, I'm not like a guy who maybe casually looked at something. I was world class in my awfulness. I mean world class. Ridiculous. And, and yet from 1993 on, 
I have not seen pornography. I have been set free. That impurity no longer reigns over my life. I, I no longer am like, oh, if only this could be the... No, he has done it. <laughs> Thank you, God, that this is really the case. Why is this man laughing in such a weird way over something so positive? Right? I, I mean, this is really the case. And that's what the gospel really does to us. At first, we laugh, but you think there's no way. But then, as it really does become the experience of our lives, it's a different laughter. It is, they will all laugh with me. They will all Isaac with me. The promise that I thought could never be, the Isaac that I thought could never be in my life, is now the Isaac that is just normal course. Of course it is. As he had said, as he had promised. It could be no other way. It's the power of the gospel, and the gospel was applied to me. Quid est demonstratum, right? That, 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 that's the case. And, and here we go. You know, but it's not just me. And sometimes I say to you, you know, I bet anybody can stand up and say this. There's a couple guys, though, who are going to stand up and, and just share the laughter that they had when confronted with the gospel, but the laughter that they have now. Let me ask Mark if he, he could just jump up and share. Mark. 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 Uh, I'm Mark. Um, basically, having lived all my life in um, adult, like young adult life, in uh, insecure relationships. Uh, I laugh at the gospel's promise of uh, living a life free from dignity <coughs> and morality, what we call it. Um, but now I can laugh with joy uh, when I consider how the gospel really did set me free. Uh, what a thought that uh, in my life I would be free from all that mess and moral dating relationships. And uh, God has now given me a wife where uh, our name was pure and our first kiss was actually at the altar after we said. Amen. Bell. As for me, I, I lived most of my adult life um, with a lot of stress, anxiety, and that really took hold of my life for, for the longest time. And, uh, and I laughed at, at when I was studying the Bible, I laughed at the promise of peace. Like, peace is a foreign concept uh, to me. And then, you know, the, the scripture in, in, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Lay your requests to God, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. It was just foreign. I would laugh at it and at that promise, but uh, but I changed. About you know, I became a disciple some 21 years ago, and uh, and not that I fully attained it, but I know what life is like with the peace of God. I mean, I, I can now live my life and, and, and laugh with God and laugh with, with, with the scriptures that God has, has and the promises that God has made that I can laugh at, uh, at, 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 at that kind of life before and I can laugh, laugh with God with peace through the gospel. Amen. After 31 years of uh, drugs, uh, alcohol, um, uh, my, my vision was to be uh, the kind of lawyer that would represent high-end drug dealers uh, so that I could, one, make as much money as I have, get product, and do whatever I want. Um, I hated churches. Uh, the only time I went to church was either I was high or I was going there to meet women. That was the only purpose for going to church. Uh, so I laughed when I studied the Bible. First of all, I was studying. I never really opened the Bible before and laughed at the guys who were studying with me. Um, 
that, that the things that they talked about didn't, didn't, didn't even seem real. And I kept waiting for someone to ask me for money. Uh, <laughs> but now I laughed at, you know, that God not only uh, changed my, my brain and my heart, but that he gave me relationships I never would have had, gave me a hope and purpose that I never would have had before. He entrusted me not only with his mission, but with, with his children, the children that I have, and also entrusted me to uh, with his daughter. So now I laugh with you on that. Amen. I spent a good portion of my marriage just crashing it. I took it for granted. Mm -hmm. I utterly humiliated my life. And uh, I laughed at God. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to have a pure marriage, uh, a happy marriage, a very, uh, one of those joyful marriages. And uh, I wasn't getting, I didn't have any children. Um, I wasn't having children. We were trying. And I just laughed. Like, nothing good is going to come out of this marriage. This marriage is And now, I laugh with joy. Uh, it is a glorious marriage. Um, I have children now after 16 years of no kids. I've got to be twin boys. A marriage that is incredible. I never thought I could have this kind of love with my wife and uh, working on my sin and my impurity through my entire uh, child and through adulthood and married life. And I have that peace. With God, uh, about just how Jesus has changed my life. Amen. Come on. And one more. I went to church thinking I was saved, thinking what I knew what it was to be a Christian. Knowing that, I was laughing at God's promise for a life that you can You know, so as we, as we finish off today, imagine this. Every time that Abraham or Sarah simply even called to the name of their son, how the entire gospel came back to them. As they just called out, laughter, laughter, dinner's ready. And how even before the tur came out of their mouth, already flashed through their eyes the disbelief of their earlier interactions with God. And now the joy of laughter of the fulfillment of God. That's why Jesus came for us. To put out something that is so far beyond what we could ever imagine. But then also to remind us that you're more than you could ever, ever be in and of yourselves. And that with every time that we think of Isaac, laughter... Or, or even Jesus. You know, think of the way we used to say Jesus. And, and the way that Jesus has such meaning to us. It, it all comes back to us in, in just the same way. Let me encourage you. What promise of God makes you feel vulnerable? Discuss that with one another. Because that means that that's where we're touching the supernatural in your life. And that's where we need to live. We need to live with a rock-solid hope, even in the supernatural. We need to live with a, appropriate vulnerability 
Because our vulnerability is resting in the very arms of God. The very way that he has tried to put us in a position to live our lives. Just as he had maneuvered Abraham and Sarah, and it was not fun for them, but yet in the end, how glorious. So likewise, God may be doing that in our lives. Let's allow him to bring us to that place where we can trust only in him and then revel in it as we know what life is to really walk by faith rather than by sight. Amen.